Her husband, Mason Moore, was a Broadwater County Sheriff's deputy who was shot and killed in the line of duty. She's here to talk about the incident, what happened, what her life is like now, and the foundation named in his honor. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. There was social media, and then there was social audio. Now the Breakout app combines the best of both. Best of all, the Breakout app is free with versions for iPhone and Android devices. You can download the app for free at the App Store and Google Play, or you can download for free at www.letbreak.com. Calling us from Montana, on the phone, Jody Moore. Jody is a survivor, and her husband, Broadwater County Deputy Sheriff Mason Moore, was murdered, killed in line of duty May of 2017. She's here to talk about that. Uh, their foundation, and so much more. Jody, thanks so much for being on the show. Very much appreciated. Thanks for having me. I say this all the time, the people that this topic doesn't get easier. Talking with survivors, which is a term that a lot of people don't know when I say survivors, that usually means spouses, siblings, parents, uh, children of, of slain officers, those killed on line of duty. So having this conversation is just one that I just am not comfortable with at all. And I don't suspect that you are either. You're, you're probably be better at it than I will be. I don't know about that, but we'll try to get through. We'll it. bundle our way through this. Um, before sure. we get to talking about Mason and you and what kind of person he is, uh, one of the things I became aware of through some law enforcement officers in, in Montana is that you have a foundation, the Mason Moore Foundation. Tell us a little bit about the foundation, what it is, what you do, and where people get more information. Um, the Mason Moore Foundation is um, the foundation that I started um, about six months after my husband was killed because I wanted to have some way to be able to fight back, um, not only for him, but also for myself and for our kids, um, a way that we could give money back to law enforcement and also show them love and support. So our foundation has three different missions. One of them is grants, and the money that we raise goes to the grant process. So law enforcement agencies across the state of Montana can apply with us for a grant, and um, that's where our main fundraising funds go to. We also do love and support events. So we actually have two patrol car washes coming up in this summer. And so what we do with those is, we um, wash patrol cars, we wash fire trucks, we wash ambulances. Um, we just try to love um, um, first responders, law enforcement. We also feed them, and then we also have gift bags for them. And it's just a fun day where we just try to say how much we appreciate what they do. And we also get the community involved with that. So it's not just our board members and our volunteers for the foundation. We get the community 
involved and get it publicized and get it out there. So another thing that we do is we work on communication and education. And part of that is making sure that we um, try to help in communities with getting the word out there for what law enforcement needs are and also what first responder needs are in the communities and also trying to be involved with the funding or lack of funding in those communities and getting that word out there and also helping with educating our um, political figures, you know, governor. Um, I've met with the governor. I've met with several different, um, I've met with Senator Daines and um, also Senator Tester and tried to talk to them about the frustrations with law enforcement funding, especially in the rural areas. Which is where you're at. Broadwater County is a very rural area, isn't it? It is, but it's only 30 miles outside of Bozeman, so it's actually very, it's growing really fast. I think someone said that it was like the one of the biggest growing counties in the state. Gotcha. Um, so it's growing really fast because it's in between Helena and also um, 30 miles outside of Bozeman. So a lot of people are moving out this way because of um, being able to get decent price for land and for a house. You guys got a, a, a tall task with your foundation. It, it, are, is there a way that people can make donations or purchase things uh, that raise funds for all that you do? Yes, our website is masonmoorefoundation.com, and we have lots of items there that can be purchased. And um, also you can donate by mailing um, your donation to P.O. Box 1193, Three Forks, Montana 59752. Um, and that's, that's on the website the as well? Yep, it is. Mason Moore Foundation um, mailing address, and it's on the website um, under the donation tab. It directs you to how you can send in your donation. I'm sure uh, it's much easier to get all the info. Remember, the website address, masonmorefoundation.com, correct? Right. We also have a Facebook page, um, and you can donate via Facebook, or you can um learn about the foundation via our facebook page too or message us i'll be honest with you i'm very impressed that's that's a lot to take on and me being a retired law enforcement i i did go through i hate to say this many many line of duty deaths uh murders usually as a result of violence a couple from accidents and one was a very good friend and i had his widow his survivor on the show even after all these years i've known her like 27 28 yeah, 28 years, something like that. And I still very find it very difficult to talk to her when the subject comes up because there's a fear factor that I have. Uh, are you encountering that or have you encountered that with people? Um, I think so. I mean, I think people don't really know what to say to us. I think they really struggle with how to talk to us and what to say and you know, really want to try to help us, but then they don't know what to do or what to say. So I, uh, I'm a pretty open person, so I try to just be very open and out there with me, my emotions and how I'm feeling and what we're going through. And so I'm a pretty um, easy person to come up to and, and talk to. And so you're going to make it much easier for me because I still find it very, very difficult. And there's a fear that I have, and I, I've talked about many people, including Diane from Concerns of Police Survivors and other people and uh, other survivors, the fear is that I'm going to say the wrong thing. And I'll make things worse. And I've had friends tell me, you can't make it worse. Don't right. don't make that a fear that prevents you from talking or reaching out or being friends because the worst has already happened. What else can you say right. to make it? You can't make it better and you can't make it worse. 
Well, I think people are afraid they're going to get emotional, and then they're going to get me emotional, and they don't want to do that. They don't want to talk about it. I might get um, emotional. I'm going to tell you right now. So, uh, and, and yeah, if you get emotional, you. that's okay, so, too. We'll just get emotional yeah. on the radio. If we get sloppy, that's fine. I, it, it would be unnatural to not become emotional when we talk about these things. Right. It's been a very um, difficult and horrible, you know, horrific thing that's happened to us. And so, you know, it's a very difficult thing to talk about, but it's also something that I've been very open about and feel like I need to talk about it, um, not only for me, but for all of the people that were involved and all of um, my husband's friends and our friends. Um, I just think it's really important that everybody know where we are and how we're doing and what we're feeling. So I've kind of put that out there. Before we get into the details of what happened uh, and everything you went through uh, since that, that evening, that night, one of the things I hear quite often from most survivors, or the loved ones killed in line of duty, is that they really want people to remember their loved one, and not just as a law enforcement officer. What would you like people to know about Mason and remember about him? Uh, that he was just a, he really was, I mean, I know you hear this a lot probably, but he was just a genuinely good guy. Um, he was funny and goofy and um you know, he just really cared very much and loved his family very much and was very protective of his family and his friends. And he was really protective of everybody. He was pretty much, I think, born, in my opinion, he was born to be in law enforcement because he never really let his guard down. He was always watching out for other people and always on guard and always being the protector. Um, and he worked super hard. He just was a great guy. On that note, we're going to take a short break. We are talking with Jody Moore, her husband, Broadwater County Deputy Sheriff Mason Moore, was killed in the line of duty, uh, murdered in May of 2017. This is a Law Enforcement Today show. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. The Breakout app is an audio networking platform and social networking app all in one. Breakout lets users listen in on live conversations or be a part of the conversation. Get it free with versions for iPhone and Android devices. You can download the app for free at the App Store and Google Play. Be sure to follow John J. Wiley, the Law Enforcement Today Radio Show and Podcast. Use the profile at LET Radio Show, or you can download the app for free at letbreak.com. Miss an episode of Law Enforcement Today? You don't have to anymore, because now you can listen to it on Podopolo. The free new app that makes listening anytime, anywhere so easy. Catch up on shows you've missed and chat with John J. Wiley right there, too. Download for free on the Apple or Google Play stores. That's Podopolo. And John J. Wiley wants to hear from you inside Podopolo. Back to our conversation with Jody Moore calling us from the great state of Montana. We are talking about... And there's no easy way to say this. The line of duty death, the murder of her husband, Deputy Mason Moore, that happened in May, I think it's May 16th of 2017. Is that correct? Yes. And before he was in Montana, or before you all were in Montana, he was in law enforcement in the state of South Carolina, wasn't he? Yes, that's correct. How long had he been in law enforcement prior to the the night he was killed? Um, Overall, it was 18 years. So he was not a rookie. He, this is a man who knew what he was doing. Yes. 
and he, he was an experienced law enforcement officer and very capable. And, and one of the things that uh, you don't have to comment on this, but I just tell right now from my own experience and people I've known that have been in law enforcement for a very, very long time, no matter how good you are, no matter how well trained you are, you can't train for every possible scenario. And, and people, lesser people that ha, are, are total lowlifes can wreak undescribable damage and harm, and in this case, death of your husband and uh, impact you and your family and the whole community in a horrible way. Yes. Um, Mason and I had actually talked about this scenario, strangely enough, because we talked often about his job because, um, you know, we were best friends. And so we talked a lot about, you know, his frustrations and things that he saw and things that he couldn't fix and, you know, the, the things that he um, went through with work. And so one of the things that we talked about was that there, the increase in the amount of ambushes um, and killings with law enforcement. And so we had talked about that, and I said, you know, I'm just really worried about that. And we talked about it, and he said, uh, because I knew several times, you know, there was a lot of times he worked by himself for the whole county. Um, so he was the only, the only person on duty at times for the entire county, Broadwater yeah. County. So yeah. there was no backup unless it was from a neighboring right. jurisdiction or department. Right. And so um, we had talked about that scenario, and I just had expressed my worry about it. And he said, you know, it's kind of small town sheriffing. That's just the way it is. It's just the way the job is. And um, he had reassured me that, you know, he was as ready as he could be and he would do everything he could. And that, um, you know, but if it's an ambush situation, he said, there might not be anything I can do. Right. Um, he had told me that. And so and I, uh, that's, that was not like just a premonition. That's the absolute truth. Yes. I, yes. I, I had the same he, conversations with my, my first wife that, that you walk around with the mindset that the bad stuff can happen. You're aware of it. You don't want to get complacent, but you don't think it's going to happen to you. And you think that if it does happen to you, you'll be prepared and you'll be okay. But we know deep down inside that there's always a possibility. Yeah, I think he knew more. Um, he knew better than I did that there was always a possibility. And I think he more tried to reassure me. And I, um, you know, over the years of him being a law enforcement officer, I just learned to kind of pray about it and just let it go. Gotcha. Um, and just, you know, believe that he was very capable and he would do everything he could to protect himself. And so, um, you know, over the years, that was one of the things that we discussed and, and um talked about and I just feel like he did everything he could do he was always practicing shooting he was a really good shoot he was a really good shot with both um a pistol and even better with his rifle and um he he even did competitions with shooting back in South Carolina just so he would be prepared and and when he would be in high stress situations where you know he could kind of um replicate those high stress situations so um, he tried. He really did try to do everything he could to prepare and um, to prepare to come home to us. And um, I believe he did everything he could. One of the things uh, there is still litigation going on involving um, one of the suspects. And for those who are just tuning in, I have the philosophy, I have the mindset, and that that I will not name people who are murderers, uh, whether mass murderers, serial killers, rapists. Uh, I, I will not give them any publicity whatsoever. But as a result of one of the people still facing litigation about this in the, the courts in Montana, 
it makes it so that you really can't talk about too much specifics. Am I correct? Yes, that's correct. All right. So I'm not going to ask you. I'm just going to paraphrase real, real quick. uh, And then we'll get back to the conversation. On the night that your husband was was murdered, he was uh, following a vehicle for whatever reason. Uh, About 3 o'clock in the morning, he stopped the car. And the two occupants were armed. And they wound up shooting and killing him. The rest of the details, I'm going to leave alone for the litigation part. In the future, Jody, if you do want to talk about that part of it, it's totally up to you. You can be a guest on the show again and talk about it. If you don't, that's cool too. That's an area where I I never know how to to tread. Yeah, well, most of, um, there's been information out in the news and in the newspaper, so I can talk about that part. Basically, what, what happened is that my husband was on his way home from work. Um, and he was at the end of his shift and he was, um, within sight of our house when a car sped past him and he, um, called in the license plate information and did everything he was supposed to do and followed the car and, um, tried to get them to pull over and, um, they continued to go, continued to not pull over and so he continued following them and did everything he was supposed to do. And they got to kind of an area in the road where my understanding is they were, um, they shot through their back window and um, shot my husband. And um, his car was unable to be driven to be able to be controlled. And it veered off to the left hand side of the road. And then they turned back around and um, shot him some more, pulled up beside the car and shot him some more. So it was calculated. It was an assassination, an execution. Uh, They could have, once he was shot the first time and lost control of the car, the patrol car, the patrol vehicle, they could have easily just kept on going about their way, but no, they came back. Right. And that was a deliberate plan on their part. And from what I understand, and this is where it's touchy. And I'll, I'll just say this. I read somewhere that the state is not seeking capital punishment for at least one of them. Um, well, the son that was the one that um, allegedly shot my husband was killed in the gunfight. That you won't see after. me shedding a tear over that one. Right. I'll, I'll be honest so, with you. Then, I'm glad. And then. I'm glad that they did that. I'm sorry that the other officers had to go through that. I'm sorry that you had experienced the loss you did, but when something that horrific happens and one of the suspects is shot and killed by police in a gunfight, I I cry no tears for them. Yeah, I'm very grateful that um, nobody else was hurt um, from this experience and that the officers did um, what they had to do to help um, prevent anybody else from getting hurt by these guys. Um, so the dad is the one that's in prison right now and, or actually he is in a mental health facility and, um, awaiting trial and there's different, there, it's been going on obviously for two years now. There's just a lot going on with it, but, um, that's probably all I should say at this point. I I think that's a great idea. At some point down the road, I would love to be able to talk about it. And I want people to understand this. It's not that. I'm not going to, I'm going to speak for, I'll speak for Jody. Uh, I'll speak for people that, that I know have been in this situation and from being a law enforcement officer where you have these open active trials still going on, 
uh, you are not able to talk about it because it so easily can jeopardize the outcome of the trial. And so you have district attorneys, you have investigators, all who work hard on this. And they're saying, please, please don't say something that's going to put our trial at risk. And that's the reason why Jody is being quiet about it. Uh, And that's the reason why I'm not going to pursue a certain line of questioning. When we return, we're going to talk about how she's notified, what happened, and where she's at today. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Are you wondering where you can find more great podcasts? Head to letradioshow.com, click Be Heard, and discover other fantastic podcasts like this one. Also available on our free app, all at letradioshow.com. There's only one official Facebook page. What you do, you do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Click like and follow. There you'll find updates about upcoming episodes of the radio show. You can contact me. We also find unique, one-of-a-kind editorials and news articles. That is our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Be sure to click like and follow. We'll see you there. Returning our conversation with Jody Moore calling us from Montana. Uh, Jody's husband, Broadwater County Deputy Sheriff Mason Moore, was uh, killed, murdered in the line of duty. May 16th of 2017, there's still open litigation. One of the suspects involved is still awaiting trial and court proceedings and rulings and all that stuff. So we're leaving that alone. Jody, I really appreciate you coming on to talk about this very, very difficult subject. Uh, But these are things that, that people don't hear about. And quite often, the news media doesn't tell people or even give people like you a platform to tell their stories. Uh, So I applaud you for doing that. The night that or the early morning that Mason was killed, how were you notified? Um, Well, it was probably, I can't remember exactly what time it was in the morning, um, but maybe five or six in the morning. It might have been earlier, but my doorbell rang and I was asleep. And so... I wasn't very awake or, or paying, um, you know, not thinking very clearly. And so I hopped up and went to the door to open the door because I was thinking maybe Mason had forgotten his keys um, and for some reason, you know, was at the front door, which, you know, doesn't really make sense. But anyway, um, so I opened the door and the sheriff was standing there and several other people. And um, I knew right away, you know, what had happened or I knew that. It was not good. Right. And I initially thought, um, you know, maybe he's just hurt. Um, Actually, what I did first is I looked through the window and I saw a bunch of boots. Um, And I saw a bunch of boots just like my husband wore. And so I think I initially hoped that he was just hurt, but I knew that there was something wrong. And so then when I opened the door and the sheriff was there, I knew he wasn't just hurt. I knew it was bad and so i closed the door back i shut the door back and i said just give me a minute and i shut the door because i had my pajamas on and so i walked back to my room and put my robe on and then came back and opened the door up and let everybody in and we walked to the den and we all sat down and they told me what happened and i think i asked a couple of questions and i remember mason's sergeant was just i couldn't really I couldn't really focus a lot. I was having a hard time focusing, and I was very, very angry. That was my very first emotion was I was livid, and I just wanted to hit somebody. 
or hit something. And um, there was a lady that was patting me on the back. She was one of the chaplains, and I just uh, sweetest lady ever, and I wanted to hit her. Um, so I just was very angry, and I didn't want anybody to touch me, and I just was, you know, just very angry. And so um, one of Mason's sergeants, who um, was good friends with Mason, was just talking the whole time. I mean, he was just talking. He kept talking. And so I tried to focus on his voice and just um, not necessarily hearing what he was saying, but I just tried to focus on his voice so that I could try to, you know, remain upright and not lose it. Um, So that's really, really kind of what happened. And then um, several things happened after that, but... uh, the main thing was a couple of hours later, I had to wake up my kids. How old were they? And, um, they were, I'm trying to think. I have twin boys, so they were 14, and my daughter was seven. First of and all, so, I, I can't imagine being in your shoes. I, yeah. I, I have nothing that, that I can really use as a base of understanding. And you weren't a rookie law enforcement wife you knew when you opened the door and you saw the sheriff and, yeah. and the chaplain and someone else there that it was really really bad and i understand about being angry and wanting people to leave you alone i, I look when i'm very very fearful or, or sad one of the first things i do is i get very angry uh, yeah. but i can't imagine how you tell your kids what do you what do you what do you do there's no rule book there's no book in law enforcement nothing in the academy that prepares you for this no, I just think um, in some way, you know, in some ways your brain is able to function and in some ways it's not. And I just think that I think sometimes um, I almost do better when I'm in a high-stress environment. It's like I'm able to sometimes, you know, figure out a way to think things through. And so that way, that day I just I went up to their rooms and I put them all in the same room together and I just told them what had happened and I immediately started telling them that you know just because he's not here anymore doesn't mean just because we can't see him anymore doesn't mean he's not here it's just like he's in another room you can still talk to him you know I mean um, I just tried immediately to I just tried immediately to try to um, comfort them and, and to try to start off on the right foot with how I needed to think about this. Um, and immediately uh, I took that anger that I was feeling and uh, now you said you didn't want to talk about the people that did this horrible and horrific thing. I immediately took that anger and I said the same thing and I said that this needs to be about Mason. The story needs to be about Mason. Right. We, we need to focus on Nathan and what he did and what he did for his community and what kind of person he was. And so I did interviews and I talked to them. I did an interview at the fire station where he volunteered. Um, and I just tried to make the story about Mason and I didn't want any of that story to be about those jerks. Exactly. And that's what happens. The news always focuses on them, the poor me, the why. They try to explain things away. And and there never seems to be enough attention focused on the survivors, on the family members afterwards and what they go through and the tremendous loss. And I can't, I'll be honest with you, I can't even find the right words to come up with to describe what you must have gone through. And then to have the whole 
overwhelming experience of the the line of duty funeral and the total invasion of privacy that everybody is there press everyone honestly in some strange way that really helped me um it was an invasion of privacy and i usually am you know that was it was difficult in some ways but it it really helped me to be able to see how many people came out and how many people supported law enforcement and to see all the law enforcement come out. Mason had friends that drove all the way from South Carolina to come out here just to be able to be in the procession. Um, so it's just, you know, I mean, it's really hard to be sad and to be, you know, it's really hard to be sad when you see all that and you see the outpouring of love and support and, um, you know, it just really fueled my fire to want to continue to fight for law enforcement and to continue to do uh, whatever I can to try to help them make it home to their families. Was there a time that uh, you know all the attention just vanished? No, I mean, no, not really. I mean, it, sure, it's, uh, all the attention has slowed down, but um, I think that it hasn't bothered me that it's slowed down um, because I certainly know that I could reach out to um, several of the contacts that I've made and say, you know, hey, I think this is a story that needs to be told and can I tell it? And they usually jump out on burden. So I think um, I think things work out for however they're supposed to. Um, and so I believe that um, things are just being put in place and people are being put into my life and people are... Um, being supportive and um, helping with the foundation and also helping with our family at the right time. Um, you know, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. I feel like I just really feel like, um, you know, when one, one, um, you know, you hear a lot of times that people just stop checking on you and that sort of thing. And from what I've experienced with, you might have one friend that stops checking on you, but then another friend tag teams, you know, and comes in and then, that other friend will then come back and check on me. You know, it's like they never, they never stop. They just sometimes tag, tag team and make sure you're okay. I'm glad to and hear so. that they didn't lose touch. We are talking with Jody Moore, her husband, Broadwater County, Montana, Sheriff's Deputy Mason Moore was shot and killed in Atlanta G, May 16th of 2017. When we return, we're going to talk about what it's taken to get to where she's at now and what you can do to help the families of law enforcement officers and law enforcement officers. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. This portion of the Law Enforcement Today radio show is brought to you in part by Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. Everyone's welcome at the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page where you'll find fun, informative, and enjoyable posts daily. Purebred, mixed breeds, rescues, we love them all. Be sure to like the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. This portion of the Law Enforcement Today radio show is brought to you in part by Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. Everyone's welcome at the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page, where you'll find fun, informative, and enjoyable posts daily. Purebred, mixed breeds, rescues, we love them all. Be sure to like the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. If you've missed past episodes of the Law Enforcement Today show, never fear. You can listen to them online. Just go to our website, lawenforcementtoday.com or download our free app also available on our website that's lawenforcementtoday.com 
Com. I'm John J. Wiley, joined by special guest Jody Moore, calling us from Montana. For those just tuning in recently, Jody's husband, Broadwater County, Montana, Sheriff's Deputy Mason Moore, was murdered. He was shot and killed in the line of duty May 16th of 2017. Uh, Jody, first of all, thank you so very much for coming on and talking about this. I know none of this is easy because it's horribly difficult for me, so I can only begin to imagine what it's like for you. Uh, we talked about how you were notified. We talked a little bit about the attention during the line of duty funeral. And one of the things I think that's very important that doesn't get talked about too much is the effort it takes, what it's taken to get to where you are today. I'm not want to say overcome because I don't think you can overcome these things. I just think you find a way to accept and, uh, this horrible hand you've been dealt and find a way to have the best life possible. That's the only way I can describe it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of feel like I'm um, at that point now where I have to choose. To, I was talking to a friend of mine about this, and I feel like I have to choose to either live um, and get better or choose to kind of be miserable and, and unhappy and um, laying in the bed all the time. And I'm kind of at the crossroads where I have to I have to continue fighting, and it's hard. It's one of the hardest things I've ever had to do because um, I just really won't kind of curl up in a ball and, and not ever move, you know. Um, but I can't do that. I have three kids to raise. And, That's right. How old are the children now? The boys are 16 and my daughter's nine. Even with two parents, it's a lot of work. So you're absolutely right. You know, one of the things that – as a parent, if something happened to me, I would not want my daughters just overcome with grief and, and depression and not enjoying their lives. And I certainly wouldn't, my, wouldn't want my wife to, to suffer either. I'd want them to find a way to get to a point where they can have as productive and as happy a life as possible. You feel you're like you're not there yet, but you're getting there? I hope so. I mean, I feel like I'm getting there. Uh, Mason actually left us letters when he went to the Criminal Justice Academy in South Carolina, he was trained to write letters for his family. So I knew that he had written us letters, and um, that was one of the first things I did when I found out that he was gone, um, as I read the letters. And in usual, typical Mason fashion, it was, um, you know, don't let the evil um, win. Uh, make sure that you continue, you know, let love win. And... Um, don't focus on the hate, focus on um, the love, don't focus on the details of what happened to me. Um, he said a lot of things like that in his letter, and he told me to enjoy life. Um, so I'm really trying to do that, um, but it's it's easier said than done. And so it's a continual fight to, to try to keep my chin up and keep moving. So, but anyway. How long ago did he write those letters? Um, he wrote them about five years ago. Knowing that this well, was a possibility years, and he wrote years. them and, and, and kept them for you in case of something happened. Yeah, he wrote it about five years before he was killed. So, yeah. That blows my mind. I, I, I don't think that thought ever crossed my mind of doing that. And I, I'll be honest with you. I'm impressed that he had the presence of mind to do that all those years beforehand. Yeah, and it was really, um, it seemed like everything he wrote in that letter was in response to what happened to him. Um, so it was, and it's, 
you know, it's a very important letter and something that really not only helps me, but helps our kids because they have letters as well. Um, it just really helps us to be able to, it's just, you know, I mean, it's just typical Mason that he he's still taking care of us. Did he hide the letters somewhere that you would only find out after this horrible event happened? He didn't really hide them. He just, they were in the safe and he, I always knew that's where they were. He told me about them. He told me where they were if something ever happened. Um, and so that was the first thing I did. That was the first thing I went to when I found out he was gone. What little I've read and that what you've told me about him, I can't help but be impressed. And I would think that I know I would have liked this guy quite a bit. Not just that he was a law enforcement officer, uh, because he seemed to be a well-grounded, well-thought-of, respectable guy. Exactly. He was a good kid. And that seems to be such a shortage nowadays. I I really don't think it's a shortage that we have these men and women like that. I think what it is is that the news media doesn't talk about them. They don't get press. They don't get coverage. It's the people making wild accusations and wild claims and discriminatory claims. They get all the attention. People like Mason, it's like uh, they're ignored. Right. Uh, And I think nationwide that is definitely the case. So maybe one of the things that uh, people can take from this is – not just with law enforcement officers, not just with first responders or our military veterans, but if you know a man or woman that's just deep down a good person, maybe say something to them, a simple thank you for being who you are, that is appreciated. Right. And I don't yeah, know that there's another important. thing we can do because none of us seems to have the capability of doing something grand and large uh, to say, remember this. But when people say, remember the survivors say, remember my slain officer because he was this kind of guy or she was this type of person. That's a statement right there. Mason Moore was a great guy. He was. He was a husband. Absolutely. He was a father. Uh, he was someone's son. He yes. was well thought of in the community. And it's Absolutely. Just, it's just a tragedy that these things happen and there seems to be no let up. Have you found support from uh, other local people and or groups that um, have a, a basis of understanding when it comes to surviving line of duty deaths? Um, I've had um, some support from the COPS organization, um, the Montana COPS organization they've helped, and then also just the law enforcement community in general and um, Mason's fire community because he volunteered with the fire department as well. Um, they've all been really supportive as well as our church. Um, has been really supportive, um, and then of course we're all, we're all um, going to therapy, which I think is really important. Um, so we're we have received um, a tremendous amount of support, and we're really grateful for that. Before we go into details about the Mason Moore Foundation, for the benefit of those who are going to go through this in the future, and you know it's going to happen, what's mm-hmm. the one thing you you would like to tell people they should do? Uh, when this happens to someone in their community? Um, Just check on them. Make sure that they know that they're loved. Make sure that there are people there that support them and, um, you know, continue to check on them ongoing and, uh, you know, take their kids and go do fun things with their kids. You know, just, just be there and support them. That's no small task, but it's the simple things that, that make a difference. And I hear from so many people, just don't be a ghost. Don't just stop communicating. Show up, 
go to play cards, go watch football, whatever it might be. You don't have to talk about the serious stuff. Just show up and be a friend and, and a support. You've done something very impressive. You started your own foundation, the Mason Moore Foundation. Briefly, what do you do and where people get more information and how they can donate and help? Um, so MasonMooreFoundation.com. Um, there is a donate tab, and that tells you how you can donate. There's also information about the foundation, and then we also have um, merchandise that people can purchase to help uh, with the foundation. So primarily all of our fundraising goes to grants um, to help law enforcement agencies across the state of Montana. And then we also do love and support events, and we also help with communication and education um, between the law enforcement community and people, but also uh, the law enforcement community and um, politicians or governors, all those sorts of people that um, trying to get funding, um, better funding for law enforcement. Um, And so far, the community of Montana, just everybody here has really stepped up to uh, help donate and to help um, with the needs for law enforcement. But I also feel like my job is to make sure that the people that we elect and that we put into office understand um, the needs and understand, um, you know, what those guys, men and women, go through. And get more details on your website, which is MasonMooreFoundation.com, correct? Correct. Jody Moore, thanks so very much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today show, sharing your story, uh, and being so open and honest about it. It's very, very much appreciated. Thank you for having me. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.